Hello, welcome to The Freedom Factor, a podcast dedicated to exploring freedom and truth. From medical freedom, to freedom of speech and movement, to religious and spiritual freedom. In a time when our freedoms are being threatened at every turn, many of us are forming a collective space where we can share truth and knowledge without the fear of being canceled or censored. Fortunately, as we've seen throughout history, there are those brave souls who dare to speak out and stand against the tyranny that is threatening to overtake all of us. You will meet some of those brave souls here on The Freedom Factor. I'm your host, Oliver Bardwell. Thank you for joining us. Welcome, Iowans for Freedom, and anyone else who's alive on the planet right now that cares about freedom. This is a conversation that you will need to listen to. We have uh, Dr. Kirk Milhone here. He's a cardiologist. We're having a rally on Monday, January 10th at the Capitol in Iowa. And he and several other doctors have volunteered to come out and speak to you and speak to our legislators about mandates and about things that are affecting our freedoms. So without further ado, welcome, Dr. Dr. Milhone. I really appreciate you coming out and getting on a plane and leaving the beautiful shores of Hawaii or Maui, I should say, <laughs> to come visit us. It's an honor to, be, to join you. And uh, I appreciate um, what you're uh, fighting for. Well, you know, we couldn't do it without experts and medical professionals like you who are willing to, you know, stick their necks out and put their profession on the line to do what's right. I just can't speak enough about how much we appreciate it. If you could, if you could introduce yourself a little bit and tell us a little bit about your background, that would be fantastic. Uh, sure. I am, as you said, I'm uh, Kirk Melhone. I went to Point Loma Nazarene College in San Diego to get my bachelor's in biology and chemistry. I went from there to get my PhD in cardiovascular physiology and pharmacology from the University of California at San Diego, specifically looking at inflammation within the heart um, and what causes inflammation in the heart. I uh, took a year off to teach and then went to medical school at Jefferson Medical College. Um, I, was, uh, I, I was on an Air Force scholarship when I finished medical school. And just to, you know, you always hard to sort of give your own introduction, but I, I was, I graduated magna cum laude. I was in AOA, which is the honor society, which is like the top 5% of medical students. Um, um, I would there went on to um, my residency in pediatrics. And then eventually after that, got my, um, I went to a fellowship in pediatric cardiology at uh, San Diego Children's Hospital, University of California, San Diego. And then I went in to serve as a pediatric cardiologist in the Air Force. So we take care of the kids of soldiers, airmen, Marines, sailors. Uh, so that's why a pediatric cardiologist would be in the Air Force. Uh, I took, I did, um, was involved in two tours as a flight surgeon in Iraq, um, was part of the critical care air transport team. Uh, and uh, when I got out of the Air Force in 2009, I'd done mostly international medical missions, helping children with heart defects. Um, around the world. Uh, countries we work in right now are Tanzania, um, uh, um, 
uh, Papua New Guinea, uh, Iraq, Kurdish Iraq, um, and we've worked in many other countries um, before. I now have a, um, I'm also a full-time pastor, uh, and I have a free medical clinic, and for the last, uh, really about the last six months, I've been spending quite a bit of my time taking care of um, patients with COVID, trying to keep them out of the hospital with early treatment. I continue wow. to work as an inpatient pediatric cardiologist on the mainland at a major children's hospital. Wow. Okay. So I, I, I think it's safe to say you're an expert in your field. <laughs> I think probably, <laughs> especially with my PhD, I, I do understand inflammation of the heart. Okay. And you're traveling right now. Um, you, you said you're headed to a conference tomorrow. Is that right? Yeah. The, the global COVID summit, some of people have seen their events, uh, in, um, Italy as well as in Puerto Rico. And now we're trying to go around the nation to all the States. Just, we really want to have a scientific discussion. Uh, if you notice, um, right now there's like one narrative that can be spoken. If you're outside of that narrative that you hear on the major media outlets, um, then, uh, you're discounted. Um, you're, discussions might be censored. And all we're trying to do is get back to what we've always done in medicine, and that is have a hearty debate of the evidence, real-time debate. Uh, and so that's what we're trying to do. Um, we're trying to find new and creative ways um, to get the message out of, of early treatment, um, that natural immunity is good and robust, and that uh, children um, don't need to be vaccinated. And you've packaged a lot there in just one sentence. You yeah. know, um, we've got- <laughs> We have to get used to Twitter. I mean, you yeah. have to do everything. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was a Twitter statement. I mean, you've got the, the censorship, you've got the lack of scientific debate in the public eye, you've got um, the, the suppression of natural immunity and its importance. Um, and yeah. then you've got this uh, push on getting our kids these shots for, and a virus that really barely affects them. So, and even, yeah, and even adding to healthy adults, not just kids, right. but, you know, healthy young right. adults, especially. So, where should we start with that? <laughs> um, well, you know, I'd like to start with um, sort of the credo of, of medicine. And, and this is what the, um, under the uh, COVID, uh, global COVID summit, there was a declaration by, uh, I think, 16,000 scientists and doctors have signed this. Basically, what we're going to go back to is um, do no harm. First, it's do no harm. So when we do anything to a patient, our goal is to do no harm. Now, we might not be able to help certain patients in their conditions. We might not have medications. We might not have treatments. We might not have surgeries. But the last thing we want to do is actually make them worse. And that's our concern right now. There's a, a population that is being forced by mandates in order to play sports, in order to go to school, in order to go on a vacation, in order to go into a restaurant that are being mandated to having um, uh, vaccinations that actually have more of a risk of harming them than actually helping them. And what, what kind of data would you base that statement on? So there, there are lots of data. The primary data is that unfor unlike the flu, the flu, the influenza that we usually have every year, um, and children are very susceptible to the flu, and they can be, um, it, it's quite dangerous for, for children, especially susceptible children. Um, I share data from a really, really 
nice and current study from Turkey, um, which showed what looked which looked at the um, uh, if a child was admitted to the hospital and they either had a COVID diagnosis or an influenza diagnosis, their chance of going to the ICU if they had influenza was 19%. And if they had COVID, it was 3%. Wow. Their chance of having a breathing tube put in, if they had influenza, it was 16%. And if they had COVID, it was 2%. So that is, we know that COVID is not as um, a dangerous infection. It can be very serious infection, but it's not as a dangerous infection as the flu. Um, when we, what, why am I'm interested in this and why people are interested in hearing what my um, um, sort of um, scientific evaluation of this is what we've seen something very interesting with these vaccines is that there is a, there's something that is very real and that is after your second dose, especially of Moderna or Pfizer, we're seeing an uptick in myocarditis within the first 14 days, especially after the second dose. This, okay. this is real. This is re, real pre, re, uh, reproducible. I just saw a on the front page of the cardiology news that I get like once a week. They were talking about why they think myocarditis is happening after the vaccine. So it's not like whether this is a question or not. It's absolutely there. Um, and you are at more risk if you are un, a male under 40, you are at more risk from getting myocarditis from the vaccine than from COVID. Um, wow. This just came out in the nature, um, uh, nature medicine, uh, just within the last month. Uh, so that's what I'm concerned about. Um, um, uh, that uh, we have these healthy children who go through COVID. I've treated many children with COVID, um, many young children under the year of one, under the year of two, um, and healthy children go through this very easily. Have you treated children with uh, myocarditis from the jab? Uh, yeah, I've seen, I admitted a child who got, he was a great, I mean, he was just this little tough little running back from, uh, and he had just gotten his second dose. Uh, two days after his second dose, he got it. Why did he get it? Because he, they wouldn't let him play unless he got it. So right. he was otherwise absolutely healthy. I mean, you know, like 2% body fat, studly little guy. Um, and two days uh, later, he goes, mom, my chest hurts. Uh, I feel, uh, well, I don't feel right. You know, and this wasn't a guy, you know, the, the running backs are not complainers, right? Or they would right, be a running right. back. Right? Um, and, and so they took him in and um, evaluated him. And his, when I saw him in the emergency room, his heart rate was in the 20s. Uh, and so that the, the vaccine had set up a, a inflammation within his heart that actually affected his, the pacemaker part of his heart and was slowing his heart to a very dangerous level. We had to admit him to the ICU. Um, so, wow. and, and in my office, I just saw four, four people, uh, two relatively young males under the age of 40, both who, um, after their, um, uh, um, their vaccines, one had, um, episodes of um, arrhythmias and the other had episodes of uh, pericarditis. Um, so, and I will say myself and this other pediatrician, we were talking about this, um, Dr. Angelina Farella. Uh, together we have about 45 to 50 years of pediatric experience. So the majority of people who get vaccinated are the pediatric population. You know, they get all their vaccines early. Uh, between the two of us, we'd never seen a vaccine injury. Um, 
Wow. Um, with the with the current vaccine with for COVID, she has seen at least seven, probably no, more by now, and I've seen five. Wow. And and that's in a very short period. Um, so the signal is way up on this vaccine compared to all of our other vaccines. Um, for instance, uh, um, yeah, the 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 death rates of what we expect to see from a, from a vaccine. We might, if you look at all of our vaccines we give in the United States, around 280 million vaccines. We expect somewhere around 250 to 300 deaths from a vac from those amount of vaccines each year, right? Right now, yeah. looking at COVID, we are, and this is probably undercounted, we are well over 20,000 deaths from COVID vaccine. And is that the VAERS data? That, that's the VAERS data, which you know is, is a voluntarily input, which people are di having difficulty getting that information in. Um, so it's largely, I mean, people have said, oh, it's, you know, come out with ast astronomical numbers. I think what's honest is that VAERS data is probably a factor of two to five low. So multiply that number by two to five, and that's probably honest. That's probably more honest. So it's not the 1% that some people say more of a 50%. Yeah. So, yeah. so I, I, I think that that's where, uh, but, but th these are all concerning things. We, we've, we have taken off um, vaccines for, for much less um, when we did rotavirus many, many years ago for children, um, we started seeing a condition where their, their intestines would telescope inside called interception. They saw it before they uh, cleared the vaccine for children. And then as they, within a year, they saw too many cases after 95 cases, they said, that's enough. We're taking the vaccine off the market. And another one didn't come in for five years. So we're used to in the past, if we see signal for a vaccine, we take it off. I'm not against vaccines. I just think if we're going to give something to someone, it, it should actually work and be safe to what people have a standard expectation of our vaccines. The chance of dying from a flu vaccine is one in 6.8 million. Wow. So why the big push to get these kids, uh, get these kids jabbed? Why, why such a big push, do you think? Well, there's two answers to that. One is I don't know because I don't sit in on those meetings. Okay. <laughs> but, but what I will say is it's public health is easier if, is if you make it a one size fits all. Okay. So rather than saying the children are at less risk than this group, the thin are less risk than the obese, the, right? They've just said, let's just make sure everybody gets the same thing. Um, but we've never done that in the past with vaccines. There, there were, even now, when I have a child with a heart defect, um, a certain type of heart defect, I will make sure they get treated to prevent respiratory syncytial virus, RSV. Okay. Um, I will do everything I can. So they have a plan for certain kids. We have what, eat, once a month for five months, we give them a, sort of an antibody to help them prevent getting RSV. We don't give that to every kid. Why not? Because not every kid is at the same risk. So I think what is happening is if you hear it is just vaccine, 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 booster, booster, booster. And we're saying, um, why don't we tail, tailor this to risk? And also, why don't we treat people earlier rather than saying there's no treatment, like the CDC has said in the past, that there is no early treatment and just call your doctor when you can't breathe. Yeah, exactly. I, I had COVID tested positive and that was the, they gave me a, Finally, on the test, a little thing that said, you know, get rest, drink fluids, take over the counter medicine. 
luckily I, I have a good doctor and I immediately got on a good protocol and turned it around pretty quickly. But mm-hmm. most people are not getting any sort of early treatment. Correct. And the, the ability to get drugs like ivermectin or hydrochloroquine is really difficult right now. And even for doctors treating, treating patients um, for the, a lot of the lung manifestations that come late, um, just getting them on basic stuff we would use for asthma, um, just on inhaled steroids or oral steroids. This is a game changer. The studies out of Lancet uh, that showed what, if you treated on day three with um, budesonide and, and steroids, a dramatically decrease of hospitalization by 95%. Why isn't that being made available? That, that's what we're fighting for. So that's why we're going around the country. We're trying to say there's early treatment. Um, let's risk stratify people, just like the Great Barrington Declaration. I mean, I, th- I think you probably saw that. The Great Beth- Barrington Declaration by Gupta, Koldorf, and um, um, Bhattacharya, Stanford, Harvard, Oxford, not meaningless universities, right? right. <laughs> Great people. They came out of and, and said, let's risk stratify and let's leave the children alone. They're such, let's build, allow them to build our herd immunity. We don't need to do anything uh, really for them, just, just standard public health measures. Um, and then you saw recently in the news that Collins told, Francis Collins, the director of the NIH, in emails, told Fauci, Dr. Anthony Fauci, to go attack these people and say that they're fringe. Wait, this is propaganda coming from the very highest levels of government against noted expert um, um, people in their field. So in the emails, Fauci told someone that they needed to attack these experts and and discredit them. Yeah. Which is what's happening, right, in the media? Yeah, um, they'll discredit us, and if they can't discredit us, they'll try to figure out a way to censor us. Look what just happened to Robert Malone, the the man who invented the technology to even consider having an mRNA vaccine, uh, a drug delivery system. Um, uh, he's been banned from Twitter. Uh, yes, I just listened to the Joe Rogan interview with him, and he mentioned your name. He said he was in a, <laughs> on a retreat in Maui with you. Um, uh, it was some sort of uh, training on uh, early treatment or something like that or a conference. Yeah. I mean, when you listen to Robert Malone, this man is an expert. He, right. has a, he has a handle on the data like no one else, maybe like Peter McCullough. When those two men right. speak, data fall, flies from their mouth. Um, these are absolute people who should be heard from. You know, and Peter McCullough, the uh, most published... <clears throat> expert in his field uh, credentials a mile yeah. long i i looked him up on wikipedia it said some great things about him but then it said spread misinformation during covid you know uh spreading misinformation and you know he testified before the u.s senate he's testified in in lots of different areas to help bring awareness to early treatment um so th- this attack on anyone that speaks against this narrative and what is that the global news initiative the trans, the trusted news initiative the trusted news initiative so and that is global i mean it's yeah anything that uh, does not is not in line with what their narrative is is censored and silenced and canceled 
you know, we're, we're wrong in medicine all the time. Um, I was talking to someone the other day and they got the same speech in medical school that I got was that 50% of the information that we're teaching you in medical school will be wrong. The problem is, is we don't know which 50% that is. <laughs> so, which is true. We, we are often wrong. We make hypotheses and then we do evaluations. So I, I'm used to being, well, I thought this was the case. It wasn't. Okay. How, how am I just an honor, honest broker with what I see? Um, to me, that goes back to the no, no, do no harm. I, I feel I have a sacred relationship with my patients. That it is, I am there. It's sort of like in the financial, when you have a fiduciary responsibility, you can't make money for yourself. You need to make sure that you're making funny money for the person that you're investing for. Um, I am there to make, help that person get well. They are trusting me with the most intimate um, details of their life. They're allowing me to examine them, you know, basically in an intimate way that they wouldn't let anybody do. They tell me their stories about what it's like to all their activities, the daily life, what that's like. And, and they're trusting that I will be honest with them, that I will do my best to help them. Uh, and so to me, when I look at the data and go, well, I'm going to use this medicine. Wait, okay. There's some new data that's, that suggests that this might be a better, better medicine. Well, I better not be on the take from a medicine company. So wanting to give them a medicine that is a, isn't as good, that wouldn't, that would break that sacred trust. They need to trust that, boy, if there's a better medicine, um, it might be cheaper. It might be more expensive, but I'm going to say, okay, these are the medicines that we have. Um, this is what I think is best for you. This is maybe a second best. This one I wouldn't use. Um, these are maybe some things over the counter you can do. These are some things you could do naturally with your own health, um, exercise, supplements, um, um, your diet. All these things are things that I, I have a responsibility to take care of them. Um, but that requires an enormous amount of give and take and for me to understand the data and be able to talk about the data with other doctors who are doing the same thing. What we found is it's really hard to, for anyone willing to talk publicly. They'll say privately, I agree with you, but I'm not going to talk about it publicly. I'll lose my license. So people are, doctors are losing their licenses for speaking out. Well, we're getting at this point, mostly, mostly what we're doing is we're being harassed. So okay. what they will do is they will start an investigation. They will ask um, you to supply all these things, but you're, you, they say they could revoke your license. So the it, medical boards, like, typically, they've never been used in this way. No. But now you, they're being used as a weapon. Uh, you know, 20, I, I've been board, I, I've had a medical license for since 1997. So almost coming up on 25 years here, never had any question with a medical board. Um, uh, usually what medical boards are concerned with is if a doctor is um, uh, drunk driving, uh, substance abuse of medicines that we have the ability to prescribe, uh, um, are you taking advantage of the sacred relationship with a patient by inappropriate doctor-patient relationships when the patient is vulnerable? Um, uh, are you using medications that have harmed a patient? Do you have patients complaints against you because of who, um, um, what you've done? Those are what it is. It's never been the fact that we disagree with whether this drug works or this drug works, or you should get this vaccine or that vaccine. Um, that's never been, but now, 
the state federation of medical boards and our governing um, specialty boards have said, if you say anything, we declare disinformation, we're going to consider that an ethical violation for which we can take away your license from all the states you practice in, and we can take away your board certifications. What that has done is it has silenced physicians. Wow. And where is that coming from? Uh, I'm not in those star chains. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I but it's concerted. Talk... It's concerted and over all the specialties. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what we're seeing. You know, people are being deplatformed and silenced for sure and threatened. And, mm-hmm. um, well, I mean, look at Malone's interview with, with uh, uh, Rogan. It lasts 23 hours on, on YouTube and it gets taken down. I interviewed the uh, director for the American Frontline Doctors and it was only after <laughs> like three hours it was taken down on YouTube. I'll post this on Rumble. Yeah. Um, I everything, I, I will tell you everything Malone talks about, everything McCullough talks about, everything I've talked about. I can give you data supporting what I'm saying. Um, yep. Now we can we can disagree with data, but but I'm going to give you data. I'm going to give you peer reviewed. I'm going to give you a breaking uh, breaking trials and stuff like that. Abstracts from the American Heart Association, Nature, Lancet, all these prestigious firms. I'm going to I'm going to deal with that. Why can't we have this discussion? Why is there censorship? This is what concerns me. You, so censorship always is a is a preclude. It precludes. Uh, author- authoritarian takeovers. Yeah. That's what concerns me. That's why I'm happy to be talking with you with Iowa yeah. for freedom, because yeah. this is, to me, this is, this is very concerning where we're going once censorship starts happening. And there's only one thing that can be said. And that's why it's so port- important that we all speak out and we all, uh, you know, through whatever channels we can to at mm-hmm. least get um, a dialogue going about what's going on so that folks aren't being coerced and, and just being inundated with propaganda. Um, I do want to talk about the myocarditis. I mean, that, especially among young athletes, I have uh, kids that are athletes and kids that have played in the NCAA and currently are, and there's just so much coercion for them to get the shot. I mean, there's, if they don't have it, they're discriminated against. They have to test twice a week. They have to test 24 hours before a game. If, they come into contact with somebody that's positive. They have to quarantine when, if they've had the shot, they don't. And, you know, college uh, welcome weeks have turned into college coercion weeks. So all these young college students are being coerced into getting these shots. And what you're telling us is that there's a risk. There's a big risk for myocarditis and other issues. So Talk to us about that a little bit. Why is that? What's the mechanism? What's going on with that? So, um, you, you know, people are trying to do the best for their society, right? We live in a beautiful country. Um, people, by and large, they're just trying to get along with what we're trying to follow the golden, golden, golden rule, do unto others. Is other, we want others to do unto us, you know, right. everyone, for the most part, right? We have some out, outliers, but, you know, it, this is a beautiful country. I love this country. I love the people of this country. Um, and so our, we've gotten used to a health system that we can trust. So when we got a, we got a tetanus vaccine, you don't see a lot of tetanus in the U.S. Uh, we got polio vaccine. We don't really see any polio in the, in the U.S. You get a measles vaccine. You got a mumps vaccine. I had mumps as a five-year-old. It was brutal. Right? 
you don't hear hardly about mumps or measles anymore in the US, right? So you get a vaccine and it works. Problem with talking about this vaccine is, is if you've seen right now with Omicron, uh, this vaccine isn't stopping from people getting Omicron or Delta, right? It was made for the legacy, the original one. It's very leaky for Delta. It's absolutely leaky for Omicron. So then first is, is does this vaccine work for what we want it to do? Um, if kids, you know, and especially for kids, if kids get, um, uh, whether they got legacy, whether they got Delta strain, or if they got Omicron strain, what I'm seeing in healthy kids, I'm talking about healthy kids, is they have two or three days, might be a mild cold, might be a couple of days of fever, then they're fine. They go right out. Um, so um, does this vaccine do what it's supposed to do? And that is stop, really stop, stop disease. It's, it's really not. Um, the study from the Lancet showed that in household contacts, you were just as likely to spread if you had vax, if you're vaccinated or if you're unvaccinated. So there's no advantage there for spreading as from a very large study from the UK. So then is it safe? Well, it, so if it doesn't work, I'm not even sure why we're talking if it's safe. Exactly, but, if it doesn't but, work. <laughs> but, but so let's say, let's say as they always like to say for adults who are really heavy or have significant comorbidities that you decrease your risk of hospitalization. Let's say, let's just go with that statement. Right there. Well, okay, that might do that, but is it safe for this group? Is it safe for the men under 40? Um, well, now we are finding a real finding of myocarditis, which is inflammation of the heart. If the heart is inflamed, think of uh, a Charlie horse. If you get a Charlie horse, um, let's say if you get a shot, right? It, when someone asks you if you want your flu shot or you want a shot for antibiotics or you want a shot, they'll often ask you which arm and you go, well, I use my right arm most. So give it to me in my left. Why? Because you're going to have to rest that arm while it recovers. With myocarditis, it's sort of the same thing as the heart muscle can be irritated. It can be bruised. It can be, in a sense, bruised. It's, it's upset. What is the heart? What do you do with a muscle when it's upset? You rest it. What is your heart? What can't it do? It can't rest. You're counting on it to squeeze somewhere between 60 to 70 times a minute, every minute, every hour every day, every week, every month, right? You expect it to be right there. And so it doesn't get the rest. Why we're seeing most of these myocarditis episodes come out in the athletes is because, because we don't, they, they test their hearts like other people don't. So if you think of your normal teenager, teenager in the US, let's say, especially during winter, do you expect them to be out doing an hour or two of wind sprints every day? No. I expect them to be in their in their basement playing video games online, right? That right. doesn't ask a lot from our heart. But the teenage athlete, the teenage athlete, especially once you cross puberty, before puberty, kids won't exercise if they hurt. A teenage athlete, especially a boy, once they reach puberty, testosterone and that incredible competitive nature, those athletes, they'll push through pain, right? right? No pain, no gain. That's our slogan. So if your heart is hurting, what do you do? You keep pushing through. What if you say, coach, I'm tired. What does he say? Shut up. <laughs> right. Get um, to work. So that's high school athletes. Take you to the next step to the NCAA athlete. Well, now you, we've just increased it to an elite athlete. And then we can go even higher than that. The elite athletes that have made it to pros, whatever, right? Everything has been 
everything has been complicated. So those hearts have to function at an even higher level. Um, if we test those, if we bruise those hearts, they really now become um, very susceptible to arrhythmias because we haven't allowed it to rest. So what is specifically happening to the heart or is it, does it have something to do with the spike proteins? Does it have something to do with, what is the mechanism that's causing yeah, that we're, myocarditis? We're, we're still trying to figure out. So my study was looking at um, how platelets were activated. And once platelets were activated, uh, a platelet activating factor would release, um, would release um, a, um, or it would activate white cells and white cells would stick to the vessels of the heart and they would go in and, and basically damage the heart muscles because mm. it, it had been activated like there's something wrong. There's a bacteria, there's a virus, there's a cancer. I need to go in. So those white cells would go in and attack the heart and then it scars the heart. So what we think is happening, we're still trying to figure this out, is that the spike protein in and of itself is a pathogen. It acts pathogenic. That's why whether you get COVID or you get um, a vaccine, you're often the side effects from the vaccine look very much like COVID. That's because we're the vaccines are vaccinating you with the spike protein, which your body hates. It causes clots, it activates platelets, it causes inflammation throughout the body. So there is some mechanism where the inflammation is actually going in. And when that inflammation happens, the body is trying to kill something that is bad. So it is in its, in, in its attempt to kill something bad, it inadvertently hurts the heart. That's the okay. best we can say. Now, how that works, whether it's through the endothelium first, and then it goes into the endothelium, then acts with a parasite that then acts on the myocardium. It, we're still trying to figure that that out specifically each variant seems to act a little bit differently um but the vaccine um information is giving us some hints because we're seeing wow it so it must be spike protein related um it's probably not that coronavirus is infecting the myocardial muscle it's probably related to the spike protein but we, we don't know exactly what's happening so what about the kid that's playing video games is it still going to cause an issue for him, maybe at a later date or something. It can. Like that. We know. don't know. See, so with my the the closest thing we probably have to this uh, that we look at long term is Kawasaki's disease, where um, the, the children get this. It affects their heart to a certain event. It affects the blood vessels of their heart. But we know long term, even if they fully recover, that those blood vessels aren't completely normal. So my concern is, is if someone gets a myocarditis, let's say it's a mild case, they didn't know, they slept in, they stayed in bed for five days because they were so tired and then their heart recovered. Um, is that a recovery that um, is completely back to normal or is it a recovery that has a little bit of a scar? Right. That's what we don't know. So we are experimenting on children with something they don't need, which is already showing us a problem with safety and we don't know the long-term safety because it's we're using it in in we haven't used it long enough. We rolled out this vaccine faster than ever. Wow. Yeah. And and Pfizer told us they didn't actually study it in kids with enough numbers to see whether it caused myocarditis. Hmm. And we've we've seen uh, all these, uh, especially soccer players, you know, world footballers um it, it's there's a higher increase right now in heart attacks among soccer players is that correct 
Yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 interesting. Remember when um, I don't know, probably back in the eighties. Oh, I'm forgetting the guy's name. He played for the Loyal in California, a very famous basketball player, really great guy, dropped dead right on the court. Um, uh, um, Hank, uh, Hank Gathers. Uh, I'm not sure who it was, but you, you, I, you probably remember. So when we had an elite athlete drop dead um, uh, on the court, it was a big deal. Right. right. And, and that because that happened, we've done things where now we're evaluating every child who athletes, we have programs out there to go echo every child, do an EKG on every child to make sure they're not going to drop dead on an athletic field. So every time one of these things happened, we went after it and we, and we started talking about it. Is any of the major new job outlets talking about all these sudden deaths that we're seeing and especially in soccer players all around the world? I haven't seen them in the mainstream media. I haven't seen it at all. Um, to me, this is concerning. I don't know, you know, what, how do we, is the vaccine or not? Well, are all these players vaccinated or not? When did they get their vaccine? Was it within two weeks of falling, de- dropping dead? Um, uh, I think those are questions that we would have to ask, but it's concerning because I've never heard of so many elite soccer players drop dead on the field in a year. Right. So what is your main message when you're touring and going to these conferences and and speaking to people and citizens and legislators and um, part of it is is there's a spirit of fear upon the land and I would like us to sort of get we need to um, I think if you talk to a lot of people they think if you get COVID you have like a I don't know thirty percent chance of dying <laughs> and, no I think if you oh. talk to me they're oh you got COVID you survived um, you have actually over a ninety nine percent chance of surviving. If you are a child who's well, you have a 99.992% chance of surviving. 99.992. Um, so, yeah, it is all specific to age. Uh, right. sex. Do you have comorbidities? But if you're a healthy, otherwise healthy child, it is profoundly rare for a child to die of this. And so um, we, have, we have these, uh, I mean, I know kids that have gotten it from peer pressure because they're peer groups. Mm-hmm. Their friends, I mean, yeah. at age 11. They can't go to the theater the unless you have it. So you better get yeah. it. Um, it's, it's insane. And, and then I thought I read somewhere that they have four to six times more of a chance to develop myocarditis than they do to have, be hospitalized of COVID. Oh, it's dramatic. Shot. They, yeah, it all de- and this is where you have to be very very careful with the data it, it all depends okay. on age groups and sex men for whatever reason uh, young men are really much higher risk we're still trying to figure that out why young men are much higher risk than than women are um uh, but but like you know men are really much higher risk from uh from myocarditis if you look at what was just talked about in j and j they said wow these women are having really a lot of blood clots really significant blood clots with the J&J. So we're not going to really recommend the J&J to this segment of women, basically from 18 to 50 or so, right? They said, we would choose a different vaccine. So you don't like the mRNA because of Moderna and Pfizer caused myocarditis in in men. And then you have the J&J causing blood clots in women. Neither one of these sounds like a great option. (laughs) If I felt like I had a 99.9% chance of surviving on my own, especially with just basic nutraceuticals, you know, like the vitamin C, vitamin C, zinc, vitamin D, quercetin or other things. um, 
And then with early treatment, watching out for these these people, why would I want to subject myself to a risk that has so little benefit? What is my benefit for getting vaccinated right now for me? Well, largely so I could travel effortlessly. So the vaccinated can come to Hawaii without testing. If you're unvaccinated, you have to get tested. But the UK data says whether you're vaccinated or not, you can still share it. But if you're unvaccinated, if you're vaccinated, you can come to Hawaii without being tested. And but then I as a person who treats people, whether you're vaccinated or not, I treat both. And what I'm seeing mostly now are vaccinated people with COVID. Um, so they get to come free into Hawaii. So what is the vaccine worth? What allows you goes to restaurants, allows you to travel on cruise ships. Do they still get on cruise ships? Yes. Right. Yeah. 100% vaccinated crew and staff still getting it. So this is a convenience. Um, it's really hard to make a great pro-vaccine argument for this vaccine for the healthy. So what's the difference between the Omicron and the Delta variant? Still trying to figure that out. It's definitely, um, it spreads very, it multiplies faster. It appears it multiplies faster than the Delta. Um, the Delta was much more harder to treat. Um, um, Omicron is, to me, what I'm seeing um, is, as best I can tell, is that it starts out usually two or three days, feels like a mild flu, bad cold. Two or three days, you feel pretty lousy. Then after that, you feel fine. By day five, usually you're better for the majority the of cases. Omicron? The Omicron. Um, okay. So it is, but it's not having as much of the respiratory problems. Most people are complaining about a really bad sore throat, um, sinus pain, okay. some ear pain, headaches, body aches, but really the sore throat is much worse than the Delta variant. But the Delta variant had really bad respiratory um, effects if we waited too long to treat. So probably... Uh, less pathogenic. More That's what it appears. And, like and I think cold. even the CDC, the CDC said that the WHO said that, um, you know, uh, I think that's pretty clear. South Africa has had the most of it. You know, they went through Omicron. You know what they said? We're, re we're removing all COVID restrictions. Done. Right. Who? South Africa? South Africa. Okay. Yeah. How's that working out for them? I think it's working out for them well. <laughs> Yeah, it's amazing how that works. And in countries where they, they mass distribute ivermectin and you can get it over the counter, how different the yeah. rates are. Yeah, Uttar Pradesh. Um, people should look up Uttar Pradesh and what Uttar Pradesh did in India. And they gave out these little packets and had their whole, their whole country or their whole district take them. It shut down COVID in India. Shut it down. Really? Uh -huh. What was in the package? Uh, we, well, we um, there was a meeting this. between um, some government leaders that said they wouldn't discuss what was in the um, packet, but what was in the packet was a lot of the stuff I mentioned, plus ivermectin. Yeah, basically what I took to get yeah. over it. And, and, you know, I'd like to speak to that really quickly, if you don't mind, that sure. um, everyone makes fun of it. And even the FDA on um, Twitter would make fun of it. You're not a horse. Don't take this. Every refugee that comes into the U.S. gets a dose of ivermectin. Um for parasites. It's known as an anti-parasitic. Um, a lot of medicines we use in humans, we use in horses, we use in cattle, we use the same antibiotics. So it's a human medicine. It's not just a horse medicine. It is not only anti-parasitic, it's also antiviral and it works beautifully. Um, that's why it was given the Nobel Prize years ago. Um, that we've had this around for decades. We know it's safety. We treat it actually, unlike a lot of other drugs, I use 
we use it by weight. So I'm very specific in the dosing. So it doesn't get a problem until it's 10 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. I'm using typically 0.2 to 0.4 milligrams per kilogram. I'm not even close to a problem, right? We're using it for a very short time. Um, this is a very safe drug, hydroxychloroquine, a very safe drug. Um, but if you don't wanna use those, at least use steroids when people start having respiratory problems. Um, so yeah, it's, it's all out there. It's, it's hard for us to believe what we're seeing for those of us who are in this battle trying to keep people out of hospitals. And You know, I talked to Dr. James a little bit, one of your... Um, one of, Molly James? Yeah, Dr. Molly James on Sunday. Yeah. And she explained that I, ivermectin had like 20 mechanisms of action. And yeah. I didn't... What exactly... Do, why does it work so well with early treatment of COVID? Yeah, so it's, it, it affects the binding of the spike protein to the ACE2 receptor on certain cells. So it affects there. Then it has... Um, it works all within the mechanism that the, the virus uses to replicate itself. So there probably... There's a beautiful article from the Journal of Antibiotics from the country of Japan that talked about all of its different mechanisms. Uh, beautiful. Uh, there's a reason why it got the, the Nobel Prize, the people who discovered all of its actions. Um, and, and in addition to all of its actions, um, it has a very low side effect profile. I, I've, the, all, of all the medicines I've used, um, I usually, when people start having respiratory problems, I put them on a cithromycin, which is called a Z-pack. A lot of people's had, you take two which one is, day, then one on day. That, yeah. yeah, right. Um, I've, Actually, the worst side effect I've had in all the early treatment I've done for people was an allergic reaction to the azithromycin. It wasn't, it wasn't ivermectin and stuff like that. But all medicines have risk. All medicines have um, side effects and stuff like that. So when I talk to people about, I'm going to put you on this medicine and this medicine, and I'm going to need to use steroids for your lungs, well, this might keep you up at night, it might increase your sugars, it might make you have restlessness, you know. There are lots of different things that, that when we use medicines, nothing is absolutely benign. Um, we, a lot of children die from penicillin uh, each year around the world because they have a severe allergic reaction to penicillin um, um, and penicillin type antibiotics. Uh, um, those are things we know, but I, I will tell you, I feel much safer than using um, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine when appropriate um, than um, a lot of other medicines that, much ha oh. that have a much higher risk profile. I think I might know your answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, so why the big attack on ivermectin? Um, you know, um, uh, the, like all things, um, probably if you uh, follow the money. <laughs> right, follow the money. I um, thought you were going to say you weren't in that meeting. <laughs> I, I, I am it. I'm not in that meeting, but often how you find where that meeting is happening is you follow right. the money. Follow and the money. Find out okay. where the meeting is occurring. <laughs> so maybe remdesivir or. <laughs> well, you or, know, it's, it's very interesting. Um, I think uh, WHO just came, has come out and said that we shouldn't be using remdesivir because its risks are greater than its benefits. And they're still using it. I talk yeah. to people. So I like Peter McCullough is, is, is a hero. He is a brilliant clinician, a brilliant scientist. He's being um, really defamed. Uh, the man is a truly a modern day medical hero. Um, and he came out with this basically multi-system, multi-stage that you look at COVID. When, when I talk to someone who has COVID, I ask them, when did your symptoms start? And that dictates how I'm going to treat somebody. I don't treat somebody the same if I know they just had an exposure, they've had their first symptom. 
I have them at day one versus if I see them at day eight. Well, I have certain markers that I'm trying to see. I'm looking at day five really big with people and whether they're going to go stay mild or they're going to go moderate. And I'm going to have to really crank things up. I'm looking at day seven if I have them, if I need to block antihistamines at that stage. If I have them at day seven and their lungs are really, then I'm changing my steroids. This is very complicated. It's not like, oh yeah, we use these, we used ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine in patients who were hospitalized and didn't have that much of effect. Um, a lot of this is how you used it, what the dose was, when you treated it, where they were, what were their, there are many different factors. It's a multifactorial disease process. And it starts out with infection by the virus, then your body's immune response to it. And along comes that is blood clotting. So we have to treat each of those things separately, depending on when you see the, the patient. Um, um, and so, and so the, um, they're often using remdesivir late and it affects viral replication. Well, basically by day five to seven, viral replication is over. Uh, this isn't helpful to use late. You, if you need it, if it was ever going to work, um, is early. And the problem is, is it has a lot of side effects. That's why it was removed from the Ebola trial. It was because of side effects. And that's the one they chose to, to use in the hospital protocol. Yeah. I wasn't at that meeting either. You weren't at that meeting either. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They should have had you at that meeting. (laughs) Um, so day five, Day five, day seven-ish, that's when some respiratory issues could kick in. And that's when... Yeah, and it's really, it's much easier if, if you have questions, if people have questions on whether I have it, well, I don't know, this is my sinus, sinus kicking up. I think I just got a cold. Uh, no, start thinking early. Um, start thinking early. Um, you know, it, it's in the land right now. we got a lot of Omicron out there. I'm getting calls even all the time about, I think of this, I think it... it and it's pretty infectious. Um, so um, I like everybody. I just, I, I think it's um, worthwhile. My wife and I um, are, are on um, some basic vitamin supplements um, um, that, that I think are very important. The vitamin C, the zinc, the vitamin D, these are all very important. Vitamin D has been shown to be very important on keeping you out of the ICU. Um, so we're often at many of it, much of the population is at a vitamin D deficiency and it's very important for immune health. So these are things that are important to keep um, your body in good shape while we're in this time of winter classic respiratory illnesses. Is it important to get those levels tested in your blood, your vitamin levels? Because I know uh, some people, maybe they absorb the vitamins differently or maybe they're they're not, even if they're taking the vitamins, it's not absorbing. I, I think for most people, if you're otherwise healthy, that, that you can probably take standard doses and you'll be in good shape. Um, yeah. I think that there are some outliers, but that would probably be a discussion between you and your doctor, whether sure. you, yeah. how you're acting, what your history is. Um, but for the most part, people absorb things pretty well. Yeah. We, and, in the U.S., it appears that we absorb calories very well. Okay. Yeah, we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. Yeah, one of our comorbidities. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um have you experienced um issues from prescribing ivermectin and hydrochloroquine and things like that to your patients? The biggest issue I've just uh, two different ways to answer that. One is um my license is being investigated in Hawaii because I had a discussion with a local public health um physician, a, a very accomplished uh, physician scientist. Um, and we were just discussing 
when something is under emergency use, like all the vaccines that are currently being used in the US, they're all under emergency use authorization. Um, when they are under that, then you have an obligation to give them uh, the risks, the benefits, and the alternatives. So he and I were having that discussion as best we could. Okay, Boyd, what is it? What who really benefits from the vaccine? Who are the ones that we really want to get vaccinated? Who are the ones that we would prefer not to get vaccinated? What's the benefit of the vaccine? What's the risk of the vaccine? If someone can't take the vaccine, how would you treat them? What is an alternative to the vaccine? Right. Right. Um, we were uh, we were criticized um, on the floor of the Senate in Hawaii. Uh, we were called quacks by the major newspaper for the state of Hawaii. Um, it is now, um, so that's, I. both he and I are getting our, um, we had to submit um, our response to the fact that we were spreading disinformation and me specifically was treating people early with either hydroxychloroquine or, or ivermectin. Um, what's, what it's becoming um, less and less of an issue with ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine because most pharmacies aren't allowing us to, they're not dispensing if we write a prescription for it. And so what people are doing is they're going to India or other places, it's going across the border to try to find ivermectin. Um, but there's a wholesale effort to prevent us from using very inexpensive medicines that have really at this point, hundreds of um, papers out showing the efficacy of both hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin for the early treatment of COVID. I've read some of those and I read a, a scientific review of a 24 studies on ivermectin. And I think it showed like an 80% decrease in hospitalization. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Why can't we have those discussions? Why, why does, why are, why are journals going back and retroactively retracting studies that showed ivermectin work? Uh, it's insane. It's yeah. just insane. And so what can our legislators do? Like say, you know, when you're speaking to our legislators in Iowa, and they, we have legislators that are trying to help doctors. How can they, I mean, is it a law need, or legislation yeah, they pass yeah. that? Yeah, we need to basically let doctors be doctors. Right. That could Doctor be the name of a bill. Let doctors right. be doctors. Right. Is it, is that the name of the bill? No, I said that could be the name of a bill. Right. Let, let doctors, doctors be doctors. doctors. Um, if a doctor, if I give a medication to a person, I, I have talked to them. I have a patient a, a patient physician relationship. Um, and I don't need someone who's not sitting in my exam room telling me what medicine I can give or not. Um, I'm not trying to harm anybody. The last thing I want to do is harm somebody. Let doctors be doctors. Um, let us, I, I mean, it's not, we're not doing this without a data. You were able to look at the data and look at a meta analysis of the data and realize, wow, this works. Um, and so, you know, what's scary about this is because people can't get ivermectin from their doctors, then they're going out and trying to get the horse paste. Right. right. Why? Because they've seen, they've actually could find the data on the worldwide literature that says it works. They know what happened at Uttar Pradesh and they have a sick relative and they're willing to go so desperate that they'll go and buy horse paste from a farm supply store. Yeah. Right. And that is not easy if people, I've never done that. I have not advised anyone to do that. But I hear people talking about, well, is it an inch? Am I giving a half an inch? Am I doing all this? As opposed to, it's much safer if we say, I have a 12 milligram tablet of ivermectin and this is how much I'm going to give you, right? You see what the, the, the government um, oppression of the doctor-patient relationship is doing? It's driving people out to increase the danger. So rather than the government keeping people safe, it's driving them to unsafe behavior. 
For sure. And you would think that early treatment would keep people out of the hospital, which yeah. would then in turn benefit our hospital system as well. Although yeah. if you follow the money, I guess that's not what's happening right now. It wasn't at that <laughs> meeting either. Yeah. Yeah. So that it's uh, just a little bit of insanity there. Well, um, I think we've covered a lot in this conversation. Is there anything else that, uh, that you would like to convey today? Well, I, I think to, to especially the, I mean, I, I look above your head and I see the Iowans for freedom. Um, boy, I think the biggest concern to me right now is the censorship. So for Iowans who are, who are hearing this or who everyone else is hearing this is that uh, you don't have to worry about free expression of ideas. You have to worry when those free expression of ideas are suppressed. And that's our, those are actually usually the important ideas that are being discussed. Um, so to me, I would follow, you can follow the money, but, but be very, very weary of the, um, the censorship that's going on. For sure. For sure. Um, how can people find you and um, on the web or are there certain, any website you'd like people to check out? <laughs> well, our free medical clinic is at um, um, forheartsandsouls.org. That's the, we have a free medical clinic. It's set up through the federal government um, that uh, we are offering free care to people. Um, sort of under the, the umbrella of the public health service. So I set that up long ago so I can maintain and give free care to people. Um, so that's the probably um, forheartsandsouls.org is where they can find us. Forheartsandsouls.org. And you're part of the Global uh, COVID Alliance? Yeah, it's sort of the Global COVID Summit. So we have a, the go, we have a the Global, global COVID, COVID, Summit. COVID Summit. And then we have just started our own chapter called the Global, global COVID Summit Maui. And so it's, I think it's gcsm.org. Um, uh, um, gcsm.org. We'll be having a large CME event directed towards doctors. We want people who have every, every feeling, every sense, bring your best data. We're, we have that in the Maui on uh, January 29th. Um, and it will be a, a place where doctors can get continuing medical education. We'll have the, the top people in their field discussing this. And we're not afraid of questions. We're not afraid of data. We want to have an honest discussion of data. So we're trying to bring that back into the discussion of medicine and help doctors not to be so afraid. Awesome. That's fantastic. Well, we, I don't know where the world would be without doctors like you that are speaking out and that are you know, willing to take the risk um, to honor their oath and, and take care of their patients and, and everyone else. I mean, we, we appreciate you so much. And we, I, we look forward to seeing you on Monday. So if, if you're hearing this for the first time, go to freeiowa.org. You can see our doctor lineup. You can register for the event. The doctors will be speaking from 10 to noon and they're going to speak to our legislators as well and, and uh, answer questions. And hopefully offer up some insight into uh, what's going on with COVID and treatment and early treatment and, and doctors, you know, ability to practice. So thanks so much again. 
Dr. Uh, Nohan for having uh, been on our show. Um, oh, thank you, Oliver. Yeah. Thank you for doing it. So it's a uh, we, we these kinds of discussions have to keep going. I'm thank I'm thankful that you have an um, sort of an avenue for us to have these discussions. Um, the truth is winning. <laughs> it's, just, it's slower than we wish, but but it's winning. And I thank you for being one of the people who's fighting to get the truth out. So it's been an honor and a, and a privilege for me, Oliver. And I really appreciate what you're doing. Well, you know, uh, uh, you said that you're a pastor, and my mom used to always say the the uh, what did she say? No rest for the wicked, and the righteous don't need it. Right. <laughs> I, I plan to sleep a lot, or at least rest a lot in heaven. That's my plan. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much. I'll uh, we'll see you on Monday. Okay. And, see you then. And everyone else, we'll see you Monday as well. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Freedom Factor, please share it and subscribe to our channel. There has been an attack on freedom of speech. And there is only one narrative that is currently being accepted in the mainstream media. Any information that is in opposition to that narrative is being censored. So it's up to us to share the truth in every way that we can. Alone, we may only be one drop of water, but together we are the ocean.